as always, talking through the play-in music, so we're going to cut that back out and uh, edit it. That should be an easy edit, just layover. It doesn't lay At over, this though. day it and doesn't... age, just layover. I didn't even say anything. You're sitting there. It's getting into the intro, man. Playing in the intro. It is not even the intro that's actually on the podcast. But then we do the intro for the podcast. It's a completely different intro. Yeah, so how does that not supersede whatever I did? It doesn't line up. I don't know, because I'm not very good at editing. Then I... I think you, you'll figure it out. You I got get it. Better you got this. Or we can just leave this on there and it'll be fine. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, welcome to another awesome episode of Inside the Coach's Brain podcast. As most times, not all times, most times. Majority. Trusty, uh, trusty co-host, Kent, is in the house. Majority times. Kent, say hi. It's been a few weeks since I've been in the chair. It's been a, it is, has been a few weeks. Got to get used to the headphones again. Got to get used to the sitting in the, sitting in the studio. That's right. Getting it, getting it down. Uh, today on the podcast, we have a special guest. Very special. I, I feel like we should preface this with, uh, there's probably going to be some uh, F-bombs going on. There might be some swearing today. Guest. So just if you are listening to this at work, make sure you have headphones on if or you, no little kids around. If you have your kids in the backseat, maybe tell them earmuffs. Is that, is that all you have to say? I think so. I think so. I've heard that's the rule. Or just, so, just watch your iPad. Watch, watch your iPad and they're not focused. All right, guys. Today in the studio with us, we have Sean Balbin. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, guys. Is that the correct pronunciation? That, that, yeah, I mean, it, Balaban, it doesn't matter, man. Balaban, Balaban, the, Balaban. Uh, See, the, I knew it. That's what I said. I said Balaban. Got yeah, it. We, we were talking about it earlier, and I was like, you know, I think I've been saying Balaban just as screwing around for so long now that I, I'm i like, what is the actual way to say it? It's fair. I mean, hey, whatever works for you, man. So, Maybe. and then we, then we came up, you know, we were thinking like, how many different ways that people pronounce your last name? I mean, honestly... There haven't been too many. The big one back in the day was Taliban, right? Because it's, it's a natural rhyme. <laughs> so, so, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth. Well, I mean, not sixth yeah. grade, but like seventh, eighth, ninth grade for me. Um, that one was, was in there. So I had to make sure to, to tell everybody it's Bal-a-ban, not Bal-ib-ban, because Tal-ib-ban is the same phonetic sequence like that. So that's really been the main one. You know, people end up uh, cutting it down and stick to... Blabbing, like that was one that, uh, that you had, or just Babs. Seanatello. And, and yeah, and before you know it, all of the uh, consonant soup can just get wiped off there and you're good to go. Consonant soup. Cool, guys. So, Sean on the show today. We have Sean here for a specific reason to talk today, but in general, not necessarily getting into that. Sean, introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah, my, uh, my name's Sean. Um, I uh, am from... Jack's Beach, Florida, currently, originally from uh, Long Island, New York, Port Washington, New York, um, right outside New York City. Uh, grew up there, moved down to Jack's in 2013, and uh, have been down here ever since. Uh, my day-to-day, I am a, uh, I am a director of product strategy for a digital marketing company, so the, the way I normally simplify for that, that for people is I'm a digital marketing director. You know, I... Um, do digital marketing, paid search, paid social, um, everything that comes along with that. And we do that for franchises and multi-location brands. So some of your biggest franchise brands in the world work with us um, in, in all of their locations. So um, it's, a, it's a fun job, a lot of stress day to day. We were just talking about that before I come in here, how I have to start traveling for work again next week. Not super excited about it, but, uh, but gets the job done. What's your biggest brand? Or I guess like most well-known brand. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, I'm actually going to a convention next week for a, a, a 
franchise conglomerate called Neighborly. Neighborly Brands has like uh, Mr. Rooter, Mr. Electric, Mr. Appliance, Grounds Guys, like any of those random home service brands that you've seen like a million times um, that, uh, you know, you, you don't know the parent name of the corp. That's the one that's going okay. in there. So that's one that has like 2,000 people going to it. It's okay. Pretty, pretty big one. Where's okay. that at? It's only in Orlando. Just driving down the road. Oh, okay. That's convenient. Con- that's good. Conglomerate. Yeah, right. Big word. Hey, they are. Well, I guess they're a public company now, so I don't know what you call that. But Is a conglomerate not a public company? Well, I mean, conglomerate is like a massive group of corporation, right? Is it like... I don't know. Works oh, for me. Whatever you want to call it. It's big word. I'm sure Nate will fact check it. So. Big, big word Friday. King, conglomerate. <laughs> Look it up. Tell us what it means. Cool. So, guys, the main reason we have Sean here today, Sean has a wealth of information in various topics. Um, but today, what we want to talk to Sean about is his diabetes. So, Sean is a active member of the community. He, you know, holds down a full-time job. He's got a fiance. He you know, stable member of society. He fitnesses, he stays in shape, he's played sports, does all these things all the while living with diabetes. So we kind of wanted to basically get with him and talk about, you know, a little bit what that is, what that looks like, what it, how it shapes his life and how he manages that and not basically dying on a given day and, and how it ultimately doesn't need to be an excuse, right? You can still, still manage and work back. We'll try and make it funny and go through not super sad like Ken's cancer you got a lot of good information I will caveat <laughs> everything for Ken's cancer Jesus I will caveat everything up front with this is that I am not a doctor I am not a nutritionist I am not a scientist I am not an expert in any of this what I know about everything attached to this is I need to know it to survive and it's worked for me any recommendations thoughts comments from here on out uh, check with your doctor or your nutritionist or certified professional before you decide to do any of this. Guys, that's solid advice. Basically on any of our podcasts, um, <laughs> any medical, direct yeah. medical advice that you glean from these conversations or these podcasts, probably want to fact check that. I thought we were running this through the Surgeon General and this was all legit. <laughs> we're not doing that? Uh, that was uh, zero zero one. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're past that. Then. <laughs> once, once we got into, <laughs> sorry guys. Once we got into episode zero zero two, we uh, yeah, we kind of got off the radar there. So circling back to the scientific sides of things and what may or may not be fact, I'm gonna go ahead and throw this to Sean. And Sean, what is diabetes? Great question. Good place to start here. So there are more than two, but really there's two types of diabetes. Uh, there is Type 1 diabetes is what I have, sometimes called juvenile diabetes. It's basically when your pancreas, well, you should probably start there. Your pancreas is an organ that you have. It produces insulin. Insulin is a hormone that regulates blood sugar in your body. We'll get in, probably get into all, all that and how that works. But the goal of insulin is to regulate blood sugar, basically, so you don't die, right? Um, a type 1 diabetic does not produce insulin at all. So for whatever reason, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. The body attacks the cells that produce insulin, and then you stop producing it. The other type of diabetes, which is far more common, is type 2 diabetes. Some call it adult onset diabetes, uh, and that is like your classic uh, overeating, overconsumption, insulin resistance uh, type disease where you may still produce it, but just not in enough quantities, or you still produce it and you use so much of it that your body has become resistant to using it. And because of that, it 
ultimately it lands in the same place. You have higher blood sugar, which uh, is why a lot of type two diabetics, you see things like uh, amputations, heart attacks, all that fun stuff. It's ultimately because they're living in a world of overconsumption and that overconsumption has driven high blood sugar that has deteriorated their body. So fun stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, well said. Well, I, you know, I thought that's a pretty good definition. Yeah, I liked it. I wish we could, like, well had, done, Sean. I wish that we had, like, if this was, like, a little video and we had, like, the, almost like the Jurassic Park, like, cartoons, like, this is how you get diabetes, and then the little, little accents on it. And I mean, if you get good at your editing skills where you can lay over yeah. me Is there a YouTube thing behind this? I put this stuff in there. Little animation-like thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there probably is a YouTube video that already, like diabetes for children oh yeah yeah, yeah. listen uh, just google that i, just, I mean I'm, it'll be a pretty easy place to go but yeah but th- those are the kind of uh of two that you you see out there yeah so big so two I, types of diabetes one and two how do you how do you catch it um it's a good question nobody really knows uh t- for type one in particular um there is a big genetic component to it um generally skips a generation two for the most part so my grandfather had type one diabetes skipped my dad passed it down to me um, and, and, and really not much is known about how you kind of, kind of get to that point, but they call it, they used to call it juvenile diabetes because you'd get it when you're much younger in age. I think now it's pretty well understood that somewhere between the ages, like most commonly between six and I think I want to say 25, 30, something like that. That's one of the things that you can end up fact checking here, but that range is when, um, most people that are going to get type one produce it type two. On the other hand, um, you do have like genetic predisposition to it. So a lot of, um, minorities, people of color, um, and certain body types, um, you you know, especially if if things like, uh, obesity runs commonly in your family, it's, it's kind of a, of a one, two punch that it goes in there. And so it's not necessarily, um, as genetic, but you may have a predisposition to it that if you eat excessively unregulated, all this kind of stuff, um, it could, you have a better chance of, of getting there. Is it your mom's dad or your dad's dad? That? My, my dad's dad. Okay. Yeah. So your dad's side. Yeah. Okay. So it falls on the male genes? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Just, just generally you see it skip a generation. It's, it's kind of odd like that. I think if, uh, if my kids probably have like a 25% chance, and again, fact check this, I'm not 100% sure on that number, but like maybe have a reduced chance of, of getting it where it's like their children have like a significantly higher chance of, of getting okay. it. Okay. Now, do you see that? Does it translate into siblings as well? Uh, it can, yes. So there are families that have, like, in the same, you know, gene line. Obviously, two sure. diabetic kids. It did not in mine. I have a, uh, a a younger brother. I mean, he's you know twenty nine. So it's so not like uh, he's he's fourteen or anything like that. Right. But uh, but I have a younger brother. He doesn't have it. I got it. So luck of the draw. Cool. Lucky Sean. Lucky, lucky Sean always. And, you know, Sean gets even more lucky because he has a couple other things going on also. Well, so it, it's actually all kind of related to that, right? So so I also have celiac disease, which is a wheat gluten allergy. So, you know, people, people like to say they stay away from gluten for the sake of staying away from it. I have a legitimate reason to stay away from it because I'm allergic to it. Um, but uh, that, that gene, that like chromosome that like will dictate... Uh, Type 1 diabetes also has an element of celiac disease and thyroid disease from it too. So about 5 to 10% of all type 1 diabetics also get celiacs and about 5 to 10% of all type 1 diabetics also get thyroid disease. So it's all related. Good times. Yep. Fun stuff. Fun, fun stuff. Hit the, hit the genetic lottery, you might thanks, say. Thanks, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, you have like a six pack though. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I'm, I'm sure we'll get. Do you into think those some people would stuff. trade yeah. trade for that? <laughs> Give me a six pack. I'll it, take the celiac. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I don't know how heavy you want to get into this, like right off the bat, but trust me, you do not want to trade that. I <laughs> promise you, you do not want to trade that. Do not want to trade that. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned, you know, juvenile diabetes. It's typically younger between what you know. You threw out a number six and twenty five or whatever number going there. What? When were you diagnosed? I was uh, diagnosed at age eleven. So I was going from uh, what? years at fifth grade into sixth grade i think that was um and and yeah so it was at uh basketball camp for the summer um was was speaking to the basketball when i was younger um was, was <laughs> so so that died off when you realized you weren't getting any well, taller well, yeah so it's, it's, so <laughs> hey a little bit of athletic history on me right so we could backtrack there so I, I played a lot of sports when i was a kid um basketball was actually my main sport but i played lacrosse i, I did track and field ran cross country did football um, I actually played rugby in college, so this was all you know, fun stuff to deal with. Played uh, club rugby up until a couple of years ago. Now I'm 32, so quite a while in there. Um, but basketball was my my main sport for most of my life, basically. And so you know, capping out at uh, I mean, hell, I'm five eight now, right? Back in the day when <laughs> I was five foot three and everybody else was sprouting around me, I was like, I'm really fast, and I got that going for me. But that's about it, and I don't think that's going to cut it. Uh, in in this world, so yeah. So anyway, was at uh, was eleven sure. years old at basketball camp. Lost ten pounds in a week. Um, showing a bunch of symptoms. Common ones of that uh, that you end up seeing are like uh, uh, excessive urination, pissing your brains out. Basically, like when you have uh, excessive sugar in your body and in your blood, your body wants to get rid of it, and so they try to pump that through the kidneys. So people just like it, j- just peeing all the time i would go like 45 minute car ride couldn't couldn't go without you know going to the bathroom lost a lot of weight very frequently like really tired and um i think that's the point where my parents were like all right it's it's we expected to happen it's uh it's happening now so um so that was a a fun age to to grab something like that and turns out i lost that 10 pounds i've actually never put it back on so you know 20 plus years (laughs) so you've weighed the same ever since yeah yeah i've been 100 110 pounds since uh, (laughs) ever since i was 11 since 2000 2000, yeah there you go so you were 11 you were basketball camp you know you're working harder doing these things and all of a sudden things started falling apart yeah i i mean uh, falling apart is a is a way to put it i mean once you get diagnosed with this kind of stuff it's not like you're like oh yeah all right you've got diabetes now here's what you have to do like was in the hospital for a week you know like have to basically get retrained on life and like what you can expect to do and then really it's like it's like a constant learning process from there so it's not like i was you know falling apart but you basically have to start life over to a degree and uh and understand that things that uh, you used to do and had a lot of fun with or things that you used to eat and stuff like that are, are now not just uh, like things to be put to the side. They're non-negotiables. So, Was yeah. the, the celiac, was that like that coincide with it or was that kind of down the road? No, that was down the road actually, yeah. So I think I was, I was either 16 or 17 when I picked that up. So again, okay. like really good timing was going into college and then all, all of a sudden realized that I can't eat the things that uh, – that I'm used to eating for my entire life. Pizza and beers off the table. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I mean, it, 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 I guess celiac is a different kind of thing because ultimately people, uh, people feel it in different ways and have different effects to it. Some people that I knew back in the day like had it and and still ate bread, like drank beer, ate pizza, like didn't pay no uh, no attention to it. Um, I used to be the same way for the most part. Like, could drink twelve thousand beers in a night, and it, it you know never affected me except for the fact that I was 
trashed and incredibly hungover the next day. But like, as you get older, your body can tolerate less and less of that. And you take more and more wear. And now if, you know, if I uh, have a sip of beer, I'm uh, puking and uh, painting the bathroom. So it's fun. <laughs> painting the bathroom from the wrong, from the wrong end. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So, you know, 11 years old, type one diabetes, we are sitting in a hospital room. We're still in fifth grade, sixth grade. We have all of middle school left, basically. We have high school left. Um, how did, you know, going through that, how did that start to affect your childhood? Because you're still a kid, man. Like, what like what challenges, like, what what was different? Dude, I mean, it, everything for the most part, like, that's, that's an easy way to put it. This is going to turn into a therapy session real quick. But, yeah, I mean, like, those small not small but those effects that like you're you're changing your life like they are not easy ones right like i still still am dealing with that on a day-to-day basis and the reason for that being is that you get zero break from dealing with with something like this at any given point right like literally every single thing i do every single thing i you know think about doing like any given activity or, or item in my daily life has to take this into consideration. And so when you're a kid and it's free flow and you're like, ah, eh, kind of floating through the world, doing whatever, doing whatever I want, um, that puts a stop to that really quick. And there's people that take it really well, right? Like, like the rigidity and the structure that it has to provide somebody, you know, because it, they need that to survive. Um, I didn't take it really well. Like I, I really like managed, managed, you know, diabetes for the most part, like pretty poorly through, uh, through my teens, even just because it was like, I, I didn't want, you know, to deal with reality that it's like, it's like, Hey, yeah, you're, you're going to have to deal with this one way or another in basically everything that you do. So fun stuff. Did you find yourself kind of to a degree, just pushing back to push back? Like this isn't like, maybe, maybe this isn't who I want to be, what I want to be. So I'm going to push against it and see what happens or just kind of natural kind of a kid just be a rebel to you know you didn't like it yeah and no i mean um it's a good question i guess like the type of person that i am i'm i'm i'm, I'm just not an optimist like there's really no way around it anybody that knows me knows that like like uh, there's there's people that would take that kind of thing and be like hey like positivity like we're gonna get through this like like it, it's gonna be for the better everything's gonna change i'm very much a realist and so even at a, at a young age, I was just like, you know, just, this sucks to deal with. Like, there's no way around it. Like people can be happy about it all they want, but at the end of the day, like this is a lot of shit to deal with. And at, at that age, taking that kind of stuff on, luckily, you know, my, my parents are around and are able to help with that kind of stuff. And so, so they're, they're there as a, as a support, as a support mechanism, but ultimately, uh, it, I think it's probably a little bit less about pushing with against the machine and more like, this is just a lot of shit to deal with for a, uh, for a young kid. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would think it's, it's a lot to put on. It's a lot to put on anyone at any point, right? Changing your lifestyle, changing everything. These are the new guidelines you have to fall into or else this is X is going to happen and trying to figure out how that meshes with your life when you're, you know, you're in grade school, high school, you don't even know what your life is. For sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, so automatically, like at that point, especially like you, you don't know what your life is, like, right? Like you hey, think I, I like basketball and skateboarding and all that kind of stuff. It's like, nah, man, you, you know, nothing. Now what you know is this specific thing is going to control every minute of your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. If you're not planned out, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, cool. Kind of leads me into in my next little question here and kind of Jim. So since 11 years old, right. And you're 32 now, I think we said the, you've had to deal with this. You've had to live with it. You've had to be probably the biggest part of your life, to be honest. How do you, how did you manage it then? How do you manage it currently? 
Like what, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? Like what's, how's that go? Yeah. So, so that's a good question. So when I, uh, first started out and, and younger on, you know, um, technology in this world, basically like the running theme of like diabetes treatment has always been like, we're five years away from like a, a cure. We're five years away from like this, this like automatic, uh, kind of therapy that's going to cure everything. And it's just, it's been that way for like 20 plus years at this point. Right. So flying cars. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, at, at that age I was, uh, taking, uh, insulin shots, you know, frequently, like, uh, basically one of the main things that you learn to start off with, um, which has greatly benefited me at this point that a lot of people would have, but like I said, it's, it's out of necessity for me living is counting carbs and based off of that carbohydrate intake, learning how to dose yourself with insulin. And that dose is through syringe. So I'm an 11 years old taking shots four days a day, like before every time that I eat. Um, and, and doing finger sticks, you know, checking my blood sugar six times a day or supposed to be six times a day. It wasn't that often, but, but back in the day. And so that was like, obviously a, a really rudimentary way to go about that. Like just not an easy thing to do. Um, got a little bit older, maybe within a couple of years at that point, picked up an insulin pump An insulin pump becomes a constant feed of insulin. So rather than having to dose out separate shots and give yourself those shots based off of that food. Now there's a constant feed of insulin into your body trying to do what your pancreas can do. And then um, you dose yourself whenever you eat on top of that. So the amount of carbs that you're eating, you're still counting those carbs, doing calculation and then delivering that. At this point in my life now, um, what I have is uh, it, it actually like a, like a really amazing technological setup that like you wouldn't even think twice about it just just looking at somebody um but i have what's called a constant glucose monitor monitor from uh, dexcom so it's, it's a really popular brand for that kind of stuff hell if you are into stock trading look them up they're you know they're going to be doing well for a long time with all this stuff but so a constant glucose monitor it's attached to my my leg my hip and uh it, it is feeding a constant stream of information to my insulin pump telling, you know, basically every minute, every five minutes, something like that, what my blood sugar is at. And then my insulin pump it was from a company called Tandem, another public company, highly recommend looking all that kind of stuff up. Just didn't know you're going to stock tips. Not, not, not on the stock tips. Right. But it's like, it's just really cool technology and, 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 uh, it, it is very popular nowadays. But so from the insulin pump from Tandem acts on what's called a closed loop system. So the open loop system is basically like, uh, you are on this constant feed, you're getting this, these data points. And so when you get those data points, you have to dial them into the insulin pump and say, okay, I'm now at this level of blood sugar. I'm eating these amount of carbohydrates that factors into the calculation to deliver this. The closed loop system, um, really it, like I, I still obviously like control it in terms of the amount of insulin that I give myself for food or stuff like that. But on any given time, like any given day, any given basis, um, it reacts to my current reading of blood sugar and then makes a decision. Do I need to up the constant feed or lower the constant feed? It's called the basal rate. Do I need to up or lower the basal rate based off of this real-time data? And so really, like, I could even eat and not uh, not dial it in, but um, it's it's much slower to react for stuff like that. So, like, I still have to think about it, but it is like a much more consistent way to be able to deal with this kind of stuff. And you still like still very much have to deal with, with it on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, but it takes a lot of like the, when you're younger insulin shots out of your life, like major pain in the ass. And, uh, 
and literally. finger sticks. Yeah, well, yeah, literally. I mean, dude, I, I still, I, I'm still connected to this stuff though. Right. So sure. like the CGM is, is connected to my body on a constant basis. The insulin pump is, uh, uh, except for like exercising in here, I'll take it off or like going in the shower or something like that, going to swim, I'll take it off, but it's two still th- like remind constant reminders that, of what's going on. But like the, the management of it becomes significantly easier. So it's fun stuff. At what age did you transition from the shots to the the pump? It's probably like 13 or 14, I think, like just before high school or going into that. It's just like the uh, the, the shots and the finger sticks um, are, are like a manageable way to do it, right? But it creates a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of like what your numbers end up needing to be. And when you have a lot of those peaks and valleys, um, a, a blood rating, what's called your hemoglobin A1C for all you, uh, for all you, you know interested in that kind of stuff, your A1C ends up being quite a bit higher because of those peaks and valleys. It's a measure of basically consistency in, uh, in, in your readings. Right. And so with these, uh, first off with the insulin pump that it ends up becoming a little bit lower, right? Because you're able to deliver insulin on a more consistent basis. You still have a lot of those peaks and valleys, but at least, um, have a little bit more control over it as opposed to having to wait to eat every four hours because that's when you can dose it. And then this is like the, the next level of that in my current setup in that it's like real time updates. And uh, with those real time updates, like uh, my my A1C has gone significantly, significantly lower. So it's uh, it's good stuff. So that was like a game changer for you almost, right? Going to the pump? For sure. Right, for sure. Like uh, people, people will still ask me, like even even in the gym right now, like we have a couple of people that uh, that either have it or like their families had it, whether it's type one or type two and are interested in that kind of stuff. And like. Uh, I'll, I'm quick to tell people about that, not just that ask about it, but like if I see like younger kids out there, or like parents ask me about it, the combo of insulin pump and CGM, that constant glucose monitor is like literally life-changing because like what I used to average for that A1C level is, um, a, a rate of somewhere probably around eight. A normal person is like, I, I think the the ceiling for that is 5.4, right? 5.4 to 6.4 is considered like pre-diabetic and then 6.5 plus is diabetic. That eight mark is basically like the, the benchmark where you can say, if you sustain this number over a long period of time, you're going to have issues. Like you're, you're going to have retinopathy. Your, your eyeballs are going to get screwed up. You're going to have nerve issues in your hands and your feet. Like you're going to have to get those amputated. Like you see that a lot with type two quite a bit. Like uh, significantly higher risk for diabetes. It's just like nothing good good comes from that high of a number. And so I operated like that for a few years, um, just because like you know between not testing blood sugar and just dealing with it the way I want to deal with it, it sits right there. But then that CGM comes into play with that closed loop system, manages manages a lot of the day to day for you, and it like all of a sudden I think I'm down to like six point four right now, which is which is uh, pretty sick. So it's a big difference. There you go. Do you notice? Do you notice a change in the way you feel being at six four versus eight A plus? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not. Um, it, I mean, it's a combo of different things, right? So uh, the, the thing about blood sugar management is that there's high and low, right? The a normal person operates on a daily basis between eighty and one twenty. That's a that's a good range for somebody. Below eighty is low, and then. Um, that like 120 to 160 range, I think you'd consider like pre-diabetic and like 160 plus is, is like relatively high for me. It's more like 200 plus or like 180 plus anything above 180 is, is what I'd consider high. And so at that eight level, you're operating 
it, like you could, I don't know the exact calculation, but you can average that out to a number that'll be like that exact reading, right? right. And so when you're operating that high on a consistent basis, uh, you have a really hard time retaining water because you piss a lot. And so like there's a lot of, you know, negative effects on your body from that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I, you can feel like for, for me personally, when I get higher blood sugar, I feel stiffening in my muscles. Like I feel muscles dehydrate. And so I'd operate like that quite a bit, right? And there's other mental things that come with it, but um, like, you know, general stress adding with that, but you feel it quite a bit. Um, nowadays, I feel that quite a bit less, but, but, but I still feel it. But my thing right now that I really need the CGM for is preventing lows because low was, is like the much more dangerous piece of that and, um, and really needs to be prevented. So um, I get a lot Le a lot less lows or like less severe ones right now, but, but I still get them. And so that's the ones that I feel on, you know, like any given day, if I'm doing a workout and just need to tap out of it, it's because of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I still feel that, but it, it becomes more manageable. Very cool. Um, so that's, you know, that's a lot going on. You know, I think seeing how technology is kind of not catching up, but it's getting better, right? amazing you know you think about what you the technology you have in your phone and like how how can they then turn like half that crap into stuff that's going to help people save lives and also yeah it's, it's amazing dude i mean i have uh, i have my uh my glucose monitor on my phone and on my apple watch too so those are like two things that i like keep on me that literally act as what like a a, a finger stick like a blood sugar checker used right. to be. So like a beacon now do you have anybody else monitoring that in case something happens yeah so i actually have the, the nice thing about the CGM, good good leading questions here. Um, I have a, a feed for that that glucose monitor, one of which goes to my fiance Ashley. So it it really more than anything else, it alerts her when I'm like severely low, like 55 mm -hmm. and below, because those are the times that like a I may not feel them um, because I operate pretty low on a consistent basis, and b become very dangerous to you know drive, operate machinery, Got that, do, have do that anything. Day have that day. find my iPhone on yeah. so she can come find you. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I, I sent it to my dad too, just so he can check in. I mean, he's, you know, lives in New York, isn't going to be able to do anything about me going low, but he, now he dealt with it for a lot of years. So good yeah. to keep an eye on. Now, with, and I'm for sure he appreciates that. Now, do you have that like set up as like, say for like Ashley, does she have like an alert? Like if it goes, if you drop it, basically just like pings her and she can like, I'm sure she's not monitoring it constantly, but yeah. So, um, Probably, probably need a little bit, bit of background on this, which I'll talk through again. Low blood sugar, like I said, is the dangerous one, right? Like it, it, there's a lot of background information that needs to, you need to understand all this. Low blood sugar is the dangerous one. Hypoglycemia, even normal people get that to a degree. Um, but when you have that low blood glucose in your, in your system, um, it makes it very hard for your body to operate, your, your brain especially. Um, and the lower that you get, the more risk that you have in terms of like not being able to control fine motor skills, like any general motor skills, like the filter on your brain. That's happened to me a lot. And eventually you get to the point where you pass out, blackout and go into uh, diabetic shock, right? Which nobody wants any piece of that. So that 55 mark is basically the threshold for me for saying I'm going from low to very low. And once I cross that mark, my phone will start going off. Um, my pump starts going off. Ashley's phone starts going off because it's the signal to basically like, hey, you need to take this shit seriously now. Yep. Otherwise, uh, bad things are going to happen. So bad signal starts going off. Yep. It's like time to, okay, exactly. pay attention. Cool. So, you know, technology, insulin pump, uh, the monitor, 
different things like that going on. Super cool on that, like insulin regulation from a medical standpoint, right? And from intervention type deal. What do you do personally to outside of, you know, medicine are you doing to keep yourself in check that you find helps, you know, between diet and exercise kind of down that route? Yes. Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned the counting carbs for whatever, you know, like, like curse you, you get for having to learn how to do that is a massive benefit in terms of nutrition and is like a, a very detailed piece of information that I got at a young age that like people as adults still have a very hard time doing. Right. And so I've done that for so long now that I don't even need to check like nutrition labels or anything like that. You learn how to read that stuff, but I generally don't even need to check that kind of stuff because I know based off of the food that I'm eating or the type of food that it is or where it's coming from, the amount of carbs that are in that system. And so, um, I am constantly counting, uh, carbs and macros on top of that, just naturally because of that. Um, it's given me like a real kind of weird relationship with food in that I don't, I don't really enjoy it for the most part, right? Like it's not a means to, to like really enjoy yourself. It's a, it's a, an end to the means, right? It's necessary to count. And so, uh, whatever, you know, negative mental benefit that, that has the positive is it's kept me in pretty good check in terms of like the things that I need to eat, like, uh, like keeping my body in shape, um, fueling and understanding how different energy systems work and how you have to intake that, to, and the effect that, that it has on that. And so, yeah, um, I've also done like plenty of, of different diets through the years. Like I did zone a couple of years ago when, with you guys were around with that, that was, uh, that was an intense one, but a fun one and got really shredded off of that one, but it was an incredible amount of work. Um, I've also done like the, you know, three X protein type diet when I was, you know, 20 to 25 doing nothing but bench curls, deadlift every single day. And so calf raises. Yeah. And I mean, doing like five, three, one Wendler type stuff. So it ends up, uh, like bulking you up nicely and, uh, and, and getting strong as shit. Um, and so all that is fed by food basically. And so everything that I do basically is, is fed by, uh, by counting calories, carbs, macros, all that fun stuff. So what are your main carb sources with being, uh, you know, having celiac? It's it's a really good question, right? Like bread totally, uh, I'm not, not bread necessarily. Like they have gluten-free bread. Um, but I, I am still able to eat grains, right? Like I eat oatmeal plenty. Like, and none of that stuff is, is kind of an issue. Um, I eat rice plenty, uh, all uh, simple and complex carbs are pretty easy to get like sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, all that kind of stuff is all within the, the, the realm of, of making it work. And like I said, they also have gluten-free bread that's available nowadays. Uh, I'll eat 20 tacos in a sitting, like corn tortillas are all good with that. So, so life is pretty easy nowadays, but like 10 years ago or like 15 years ago, having to deal with that, it was fucking impossible yeah just no it, like to, to eat out eat anything it was just right. it was just super hard so you end up transitioning into like alternative carb sources that do well for you right or better than eating starch white bread you know stuff like that um so so that's good but uh but but yeah i generally stay away from that kind of stuff are you cool. pretty careful like when you're going out to dinner and stuff i mean yeah for sure at this point you you know what to avoid and yeah, you know, it, what you can well, have. so and it's and it's not even like what what I can and what I can't have. I know what restaurants I can and can't eat at because okay. because generally, like I said, when I was younger, 
wasn't that big of a deal. Like I could eat pretty much anywhere I wanted just as long as I wasn't having bread or, or anything like that. Really not a big deal. Now, even like uh, it, contact, like if, if things are made on the same tray or like cooked in the same oil or something like that, my body will immediately feel it. So, so, no, so no Olive Garden then? <laughs> not, <laughs> no bread rolls? Not, yeah, not going to, to Olive Garden and Carabas a lot. That's for damn sure. For probably a few reasons. Yeah. 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 But, well, but, yeah. But, but I mean, even like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should trash talk any local businesses on here, but there have been like plenty of uh, like pizzerias around town that serve gluten-free pizza that when when I was uh, you know five years ago would eat that all the time uh, and like it would all lead to one single experience in each one of them where it was like I can never eat this again like just just mm. can't do it it's affecting my body so like there, there are, are literally probably 10 around town that that are now flashing like the gluten-free pizza so it's sitting on the same stone and same oven and same yeah it, it, table it, and, and literally it's as sensitive as that yeah so that kind of sucks but yeah. but it, like i said you, you end up straying away from like uh things that people generally like uh really eat a lot of and end up having issues with or just end up like getting kind of flabby or kind of bulky from that kind of stuff i don't run into that kind of issue so it's nice sweet um going through you know, you stayed active, you've done sports. Did you ever find any real big challenges with it? You know, I know you played rugby at a pretty competitive level. Um, I'm sure the basketball thing fizzled out once you hit this. I wrote down, you said five, eight. We might have to, we might have to fact check that one. <laughs> hey, it's on my license. Look it up. Bring Don in here. <laughs> bring, bring Mark in here. Mark yeah, is five nine on his license. If anybody's still listening at this point, uh, five, eight, maybe, uh, let me, t- but did you, you know, what were the challenges, you know, briefly like competing or not competing, but doing these sports at, you know, whatever level was really like became the challenge. Yeah. So, it, I mean, uh, honestly, there, there are a, a lot that, that were, and that's, I still deal with, like, um, I had mentioned energy systems and fueling and understanding how, like what you eat, how that's going to affect your performance. Right. Um, your body is in this kind of state is basically constantly battling itself. Right. So first off I need to sleep like way more than, than a normal person, like for, and and I don't get it right. Like I'm, I'm like any other adult, I get six, seven hours. Right. But I generally don't feel rested unless it's like the nine or 10 hour mark, just because your body is in a constant state of like, what's going on here. I need to, I need to, to attack this. Right. So, uh, being tired all the time wasn't really helpful with that kind of stuff. Um, but on top of that, like having low blood sugar going into any any like sporting events any activity anything like that wipes any potential energy that you have affects like your brain in terms of uh small motor function and and like decision making skills so always trying to avoid that kind of stuff um high blood sugar ending up uh like dehydrating your muscles like i said because of of the the amount that's in your system and stiffening up off of that i used to get like debilitating cramps with with high blood sugar like in my legs especially for like hour two hours just like locked on the couch just couldn't move because my my uh legs were so locked up and so those were like like honestly like the little kind of things that you end up dealing with like a result uh, or going into all this kind of stuff um, and so obviously all that also affects your performance quite a bit too. Right. right? So you'd mentioned, I, I played rugby. I, uh, played rugby up until a couple of years ago, right. For, for 10 plus years at, at that point. Um, whenever I would go into a game, I end up taking the insulin pump off, right. Rightfully. So it's a full contact sport. Like it's a, you know, $6,000 medical device, probably not something you want to get tackled with like, right. on, a, on a daily basis, right? Or, or anytime you play. So take it off. 
um, go through the entire game, feel fine through the game. You know, obviously like not, not uh, a big deal. You, you, you know, perform, do what you got to do, um, connect it two hours later. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with the effects of not having your insulin pump attached to you for two hours. So now you're dealing with trying to get down from 300, 350, 400, which is like, uh, obviously like for any given normal person would be quite bad for you for, for a diabetic, it's just like something that you deal with. Right. But so your body's cramping up at that point. You can't eat anything. You can't properly fuel yourself because you have so much sugar in your system that you shouldn't be putting any more in. You may have to like change uh, your, your setup so it delivers correctly. You may actually need a shot to be able to get down there. And so do that enough for that many years and like you're going to have negative effects on, on your body. The same kind of things that we're talking about, like type 2 diabetics, like right. ret, retinopathy is a common one, like nerve damage is a common one. And so I did that for, for a lot of years for rugby. And besides like the normal injuries that, that you would get from that, having to deal with that every practice and every weekend, three days a week, like is a, is a slippery slope that's going to lead you to places that you don't want to go in terms of, uh, you know, your, your health. And so at a certain point, got to make the decision, like, is it, is it worth doing this anymore? Because a, I'm walking through my uh, office with a sling or got a massive concussion last weekend that I now <laughs> can't sit in any, any, uh, fluorescent light, light. any lighted room. Yeah. But, or, or, and also, am I going to keep doing this like for the sake of having fun and now going to hit, like have eye damage or, you know, yep. nerve damage, just not fun stuff. Very true. Yep. Um, which leads me into my next awesome question. So, you know, these are some of the day-to-day struggles, right? You're trying to be, you know, you're in your 20s. You're trying to go out and do the things you enjoy doing. You're trying to live your life. You're trying to, you know, and you're bouncing around the different the different struggles that, that really come along with being a diabetic, right? That most people don't, most normal people have no clue about. They don't deal with, they don't see, they don't, you know, they're not around. Um, what are some of the top, like, biggest, like, scares you've had? Like I imagine at some point in the last 20 years of having diabetes so far, give or take, you have, you've had some pretty, pretty scary run-ins. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they are on like the extreme ends of high and low. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've only had one really bad one with, with the high end where basically like I was in the 300 or 400 range for 24 plus hours. Like it, like I said, uh, pissing my brains out like voiding my body of any potential like like liquid that's in there and then on top of that your body gets to that point where it's like okay i can't operate like this anymore start throwing up stuff like that um you also end up spilling uh, ketones if you know anything about uh ketosis or anything like that like generally not something that you want floating around in your system um because it's gonna harm your organs and you get to a place that's called diabetic ketoacidosis where basically your blood turns into acid because of how much uh of that crap is in your system so i didn't quite get there but i got to the point where i was like you know puking my brains out because i was so high for so long and so i had to go to the hospital and uh, get a few ivs and uh and and stuff and, and that, that was really the only like bad one that i've had that was probably 15 years ago low i've had quite a few bad ones which is why i ended up getting the cgm in the first place um if you your, your body is very adaptable. And so it adapts to what your normal is, right? And so if you uh, operate on the low end for quite a bit, eventually, eventually you become uh, blind to the symptoms of low blood sugar. And so when you have low blood sugar blindness, like it's a very dangerous place to be because you can be operating at like 
10, 20, 30, like literally the point where you could be blacking out or going into shock and just have no idea and not even feel it. And so that happened to me more than a handful of times, you know, driving a car and blacking out and, uh, and, uh, and, and all that fun stuff or like waking up, um, in the morning and just Gatorade being poured into my throat, you know, just because I had no idea what was going on or, uh, you know, like blacking out and, and cursing out my, uh, fiance's dad. The first time I met him, that was a really fun event. Um, so, yeah, so uh, fun stuff. So, um, those are generally the ones that you try to stay away from, but I've had, you know, a handful of them, which make this whole setup that I do with, uh, that I deal with now worth it because, uh, you want to avoid those at all costs. Cool. Um, so long-term, long-term vision going forward. Like, what do you see in the world of diabetes in the next 10, 20, 30 years? There, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Like they, like I said, they always say that cure is five years away. Probably not going to happen with that, but, um, companies like Apple and Google are heavily invested into wearables in particular for blood sugar management. Um, I think one's working on like a contact that you, that you put in and it can read off of that as opposed to having to like have a, a sensor on you or anything like that. So that's a really cool one. Um, what everybody's trying to get to is the like artificial pancreas, essentially. It's like not having to deal with any of the like uh, involvement in uh, in like blood sugar management or anything like that. So I think they'll probably get there at some point in the next five, 10 years. I think they've actually had an FDA approval and some trials on that kind of stuff. Uh, and that will be a game changer. But um, short of that, like there's probably no cure in sight right and so people will still have to deal with this for a long period of time um but but the tools are getting and, and have gotten much better and, and easier to manage but yeah there, there are a couple of things out there that they're pretty cool awesome man well i know i know i think you know the awesome conversation to start with but i think it'd be cool to like see how that does progress and like you know as you age i'm sure there's also more complications can arise more more things can change right so like in your 30s right now you're in shape you're healthy how did you know how does that look for sean when he's 60 right is it becomes probably tougher and different you know then you add age on top of things and then you know you got to stay so much more on top of that than the average joe does that it's it's tough yeah dude i mean it's like it's interesting that like you learn all this kind of stuff about like macro counting carb counting and stuff like that and it benefits you so well in terms of like your uh, outside of this your overall health right like Mm -hmm. i fully understand and and have a a really good grasp of like i said feeding energy systems understanding my calorie intake my carb intake how that's going to translate into five minute workout 10 minute workout 25 minute workout like we did yesterday right like uh i had 50 carbs yesterday and less than a thousand calories going into that 30 minute workout sean's never made it through a 25 minute workout like (laughs) like like literally cruising no problem and get to that point and just and just die like just hit the wall and die and you'd like to say it's because like you you know you're just blowing yourself out going too fast man it's like nah dude i actually fueled my body to uh to to do work for a short period of time and after um my cells expunged every single ounce of glucose out of them the glycogen kicked in from my liver after that got expunged, your body's like, well, you literally have nothing left here. So it, not like I just emptied the tank, like literally emptied the tank. You have no gas in the system anymore. And so, so it's fun to understand that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, but the, the long-term outlook is, is definitely interesting too, because like people with this kind of stuff die on average, like 10 years younger than, uh, than the average person. Right. And it's because of management of either low stuff. Like you have an incident that literally kills you, like 
blacking out driving a car like you know the yeah. the, the fun stuff that like like that or high and especially with type 2 uh, diabetics as well which is like it would you know they run into these same kind of issues where it's like you have to amputate a foot a hand like you have to you know have to go blind in one eye like uh, get like serious glaucoma or like retinopathy like there are so many different things that uh fall into this kind of stuff that like long-term outlook people need to be aware of but generally like this same pathway doesn't change just how your body deals with it as you get older and uh and and learning to cope so it's fun stuff sweet dude awesome can't anything else how many grams you loading for murph what's your what's your your setup dude so um so i generally i i've stopped uh like counting calories as of late because uh you know working at home it's just like and and working excessively too it just becomes like another burden that you don't need to deal with but back in the day i would very clearly based off the workout be able to uh, put a ceiling of like three thousand calories and 100 carbs for a short workout right and so i know i'm going to feel good about that 3500 and 150 for a mid one somewhere around there and then like uh like 4k plus for a long one and so murph like many many years i would do it like that right where it would be like complex carbs over a long period of time um and and a significant volume of that a significant calorie count at that feel terrible because of the amount of volume of food that you had to eat and the amount of, 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 of everything that just goes into that to get to that calorie mark. And especially me, like we said, five, eight, 160 pounds, like, and, uh, you know, uh, out of my five, eight, five feet of it are my legs and, and eight inches of it are my torso. Like just don't have a big stomach. Doesn't, doesn't work like that. True. So, uh, I would fuel like crazy, um, doing that kind of stuff. And, and my Murph times are generally good. Right. But like any given day that I'm not thinking about it, like yesterday, which was terrible, um, crash and burn every single time. And I've got to work out like that three days a week. So it's fun stuff. Always, uh, always. How far did you get yesterday to kind of like just hit that wall? Uh, so kettlebells. What, what was the, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so that was the time gap on yesterday. 30 minutes. I think 30 minutes. Yeah. So I breezed through maybe 24 minutes of that, right? Like, or okay. like 23 minutes of that got to the last two right which were 40 kettlebell swings and then 40 uh pull-ups 40 pull-ups yeah it's like you're starting to, starting to give out on the row yeah yeah oh yeah it was crashing on the on the 40 calorie okay. rows right before that got to the kettlebell did maybe 10 swings and i was like dude i'm done i i just i was like there's no point in me pushing anymore like I, what am i going to do another 15 you know 20 kettlebell swings and just completely die right or get through the kettlebell swings get to the pull-up bar and not do any pull-ups like so, so uh that was uh that was a crashing point at which point i just basically stared at the floor drooling while everybody else finished the workout. It was fun stuff. Yeah. Good times. But, but hell, I was, I was way in front, uh, getting up until that point. It's always like, that's the way it is for me. Always, always the fast start. Yep. Got to come out hot. Are you still doing the, the gluten beer thing, the website? So I, I haven't gotten that off the ground much, but, uh, but I did a couple of tests. Uh, what Ken's talking about is I was doing, uh, like, uh, literally like, uh, chemical gluten tests on certain beers to figure out which ones I can and can't drink and doing like a blog about them. And so I tested a couple. I did, uh, I did Guinness. I did Heineken. I don't think I did any local ones, but you had a good stash for me that I should, should get on. And so I was going to do all these write-ups and, uh, and do like a guide for that. But, um, uh, my, my, uh, professional life is, uh, yeah, in the way ho- hogging a lot of bandwidth to be able to do that kind of stuff. So one day we'll get there. Yeah. One day. Once you catch up, let me know. I have many beers that I'm very interested in. Dude, I, I still have the test. We can have science experiments in my house anytime science, you want. Science Saturdays. Yep, exactly. Science Sundays before we go drink a bunch before NFL games. Test oh, goodness. Out. All right, guys. 
Awesome time. I like it. Solid conversation. I liked it. I'm going to go drink some beer now. Yeah. All right. Until (laughs) next time. Gluten free. See you guys.